We do love making podcasts at 11FS, and you know, this isn't our only one. If you haven't checked out our sister podcast, InsureTech Insider, then hop to it, because we've published some of our best ever episodes over the past few months. From the future of work to the biggest industry InsureTech news, there's a topic in there for anyone who wants to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Head to ii.11fs.com to start listening, or just search InsureTech Insider on your podcast provider. Okay, let's start today's show. everybody. Welcome to the Fintech Insider Insights. I'm Sam Mall, And in today's show, we're talking about Latin American fintechs. To help dive into this topic, I'm joined by excellent guests that know the market incredibly well, making their Fintech Insider debuts. First, we have Simena Aliman. She's the co-founder and chief business officer at Promentia. And I did my best pronunciation. I thought that was fairly good. She smiled at me. Welcome to the show. How are you? Hi. And I'm I'm going to ask, how is the weather in Uruguay? It's it's winter, right? Did I get that right? Spring? Actually, it's the end of the winter. Spring, it's just coming on. And uh, the weather today is perfect, you know? Um, like, really sunny and a tender breeze. Um, so it's beautiful to be outside. And, and our listeners know that I'm in Florida, which means it's incredibly hot. It will rain this afternoon, and that'll be incredibly hot. Again, because nothing ever changes in Florida. All right, next up, we have Juan Pablo Ortega, who is the co-founder of Rappi. How are you doing, Juan Pablo? I'm doing really well. And yourself? You know what I find interesting about um, Rappi is you're actually, if I got this right, you're a client of Prometheus, correct? Yes, correct. Well, that's just good because I never gave Simena a chance to actually tell us what Prometheus does. So here's your chance. How'd you like that segue? So what is it? What's a quick elevator pitch for your company? Okay, so we are basically Platform for LATAM. Um, so we are a platform that provides a single point of access for information, transactions, and payments across multiple financial institutions in Latin America. Actually, we are connected with more than 30 financial institutions in nine countries of the region. So there you go, everybody. And so now it's, we're going to segue quickly back to Juan Pablo, who also is a commercial airline pilot because I read his LinkedIn profile. That's how cool I am. But Rappi, what does Rappi do? Rappi is a super app. It's, it's the only super app in Latin America. And we basically deliver anything in minutes. Uh, we deliver, if you want anything from a restaurant, your whole supermarket list or even cash. So um, in the U.S., everybody is incredibly jealous because the super apps just don't happen. Facebook desperately wants to be one. They're not. Let me go ahead and get that out of the way. Um, so that, that whole concept of super apps, we'll dive into that probably a little bit more as we get into this. But let's introduce our last guest here, Alexandra Alavrebs, head of product at Neon. Love the name Neon, by the way. Yes, yeah, so what do you all do at Neon? Uh, so I bought the name. It wasn't that easy to find the domain. So that's a curiosity about, <laughs> about the company. But we got it in the end. So Neon is a, is a Brazilian fully digital account uh, focused on young adults here in Brazil. Uh, our, our platform allows our clients to make transfers, deposits, withdraw money. We also have a credit card and an investment product. And and my uh, what what I love everybody and y'all will appreciate this. My producers are phonetically spelling everything in the chat, and it's still not happening because I barely speak English, and they're so used to it. So apologies to everybody. I here's a funny thing though, my kids speak Spanish fluently. 
that says so much about the power of the Latam market, in my opinion. And it's not just in Florida, in the U.S. Let me go ahead and get that out of the way. Um, when you look across the U.S., the impact of um, Latin America is a, is a voting block as a commercial market is incredible. Um, it's, it's an excellent uh, change, in my opinion, that we're seeing across the U.S. But with that, let's jump in and look, kind of set some scene setting and give an overview of the fintech market in Latin America. So, you know, when we talk about this market, the past decade has been incredible. The growth of fintech and technology as a whole in Latin America is, is something that is incredibly exciting to see. And I have to ask, are any of you surprised by that? Yes, of course. Uh, I think that it's amazing. I think that it's not surprising um, if you think of it uh, because it's a huge market and with a lot of opportunities. That I think it's something interesting because we have a huge market that's, that is uh, financially underser underserved. Um, so there is a lot to be done, and I think that's why there is, there is also a lot happening, you know. Um, but then if you think it a little bit more more further, you know, and deeper, um, I think that it makes total sense that, that this is happening. And it's great to be pushing uh, fintech in Latin America right now. Yeah, it's, I think one thing that I find interesting um, is that when you look across the whole, and we're talking, you know, multiple regions, multiple countries, but essentially you are talking, correct me if I'm wrong, we have Spanish and Portuguese. Variations of Spanish, obviously, but Spanish and Portuguese. So there is this this common language. Um, is it true that when you look at the say the financial rails that those are common too, or is that incredibly diverse? So when we look at payment rails, when we look at the banking systems, do they vary, you know, country to country quite a bit, or is it pretty common? Yeah, Juan Pablo. Yeah, it's, I think that was one of the biggest challenges that we faced uh, rapidly in, in the beginning when we started expanding. Uh, each country has their own payment rails, their own way of operation. Uh, banks and bank, let's say, transfer networks are completely different. So when we enter a new market, we had to do uh, complete new setups. Uh, so so things that we did in, in Mexico, for example, of being able to pre-authorize a charge and then do capture with a two-step progress, a two-step process, was something that was not available in Colombia and, and the rest of the region. So we had to change how we charge credit cards, how we did the disbursement to to restaurants, and, and it changed country by country. Um, Visa and MasterCard are starting to, to get into a region, and, and now we're being able to process uh, with them in Colombia and in Peru. But I I think we're still a long way to go to have um, kind of one way of, of doing transactions in the region. And Rappi is originally out of Colombia, correct? Yeah, we started in Colombia and we are now in nine different countries. So just, just a true story for everybody. A, a little bit about Uncle Sam. Way back in the day, I actually worked with Citi on their loyalty program. And one of the first test markets we started with was Colombia. And I was fascinated about the concept of the number of folks that would buy buy goods, whether that be in Mexico or the U.S., and then have them shipped and delivered, and the the complexity of that. So when you look at you know the solutions that y'all are providing, when I say the complexity of it, it was literally finding somebody like on a bike that could deliver to a certain region with you know for Colombia for a television, and I'm not exaggerating. You know that's fascinating to see. 
and Juan is nodding. So obviously I'm right when I said that. <laughs> so, so. Yes, I, I think that uh, there is a big opportunity in building like infrastructure uh, across Latin America and especially financial in- infrastructure. Uh, that's uh, what we are trying to do at Prometeo, you know, like building the, the, this highway of information, transactions and payments. And also there are other companies like um, trying to address this problem of um, technology for the financial sector. And I'm talking about Kushki um, in Ecuador or uh, other companies like Swap in Brazil. Um, so I think that there is a lot to be done. And at this moment, uh, there are a bunch of companies trying to, to address this and to build uh, the, the rail rocks uh, in which uh, financial services will run in the future. Yeah, uh, this step is going to be uh, needed uh, when, when you talk about bringing the big corporations, big banks uh, together uh, at least closer to, to the speed that fintechs are addressing in, in, in this challenge. So it's great to see this movement happening because uh, at the end of the day, our, our, all the clients will be benefited by that. What's been, been the impact of COVID um, within the region? And I'm guessing it varies country to country or region to region. It, it, it depends a lot on the company or on the industry. At the very beginning, no one really knew what to expect. For digital companies and, and for fintechs uh, in Brazil, it was actually a great opportunity to, to show people all the benefits that they have by using digital accounts. So there is still a barrier, but it's, it's very smaller now. They knew digital accounts. So since 2016, the movement started to get faster. But they, there, there was still this fear of changing banks or opening a bank account in, in a company that is new uh, with the need of doing things at home. Uh, it was it was great for us, and more than that, it was great to to be able to to help people, so they could do all they needed, uh, buy things and transfer money, or, or without the need of getting out of home. Um, and I'm curious, um, you know, each of you, uh, I'm expecting you to say that uh, the answer is going to be Uruguay, Colombia, Mexico, and Brazil. When I ask this, but when you look across the region, what countries specifically do you think are kind of standing out when it comes to the adoption of fintech? I mean. I'll tell you, in the U.S., we hear consistently about Brazil, probably because of Nubank, um, to be blunt. Um, but obviously, I know this. I know the fintech scene in Mexico City is absolutely bonkers, and that's a good word. Same in Colombia. I know it's fantastic. Um, I haven't heard, you know, about Uruguay, for example, or say Bolivia. So I'm curious, what's been the adoption like there? Um, so I think that, uh, like. Each country develops a different kind of fintech uh, depending like on the conditions of the market. So uh, like Uruguay is a, a really big uh, hub in terms of software development for other countries. You know, we export not only football players and meat, uh, but also a lot of software. Um, so actually you have a lot of companies building B2B solutions like Prometeo, you know, and not for the local market because we are like uh, really small in terms of market, like 3 million people. And that's been like that for like 20 years. Um, so uh, like the population is not getting bigger. Um, so software companies uh, just sell abroad, you know, and that's how, how we do things in, in Uruguay in terms of fintech also. 
But then uh, you see like in our countries, uh, like Peru and like Panama, which are also uh, smaller than Brazil or Mexico, perhaps, uh, but they address local necessities, you know, like uh, for Peru, for instance, um, building inclusion, um, it's a challenge because uh, you have different geographies and you have many cities, different kinds of population. Uh, so there are a lot of fintechs addressing financial necessities uh, for the local market. Um, I think that it depends, you know, like in Ecuador, you also have a big fintech companies building solutions for, for the local markets and also B2B because they are also a small country. Um, so I think that uh, there is a wide range of fintechs uh, all across Latin America and also in, in smaller countries than in Mexico and Brazil that, of course, has uh, have uh, this huge uh, financial fintech hub, you know. You know, one of the things I admire about all three of these companies that are represented on this podcast, well, one of the things that is incredibly to me, unique about this market as compared to, say, the U.S. And I've discovered this in my first trip to Mexico City, and this was well over a decade ago. Um, I, I went with the team at Fino Vista, um, who I know really well. Um, guys are a lot of fun there. And in my first trip to Mexico City, I learned how damn big Mexico City is, by the way. As somebody who goes to New York and is like, New York is massive, go to Mexico City or go to Sao Paulo, right? Or go to, you know, pick a city it, but y'all have to put solutions together that work in those incredibly large urban environments, but then also in rural areas, you know? So, I mean, you're, you're doing both. I'm going to look right at you, Juan Pablo. I know it's a podcast, but I'm looking right at him, folks. Um, Rappi, you know, for the solution that you're doing has to work in both environments. And that's, that's rather tough, uh, to be honest, right? How do you service customers in, say, Mexico City or, or Bogota, but then also in, you know, the other regions of, say, Mexico? And, you know, the solution that will work for them. Yeah. So at the beginning, we did um, a slow expansion in, into a city. We started in a, in a small neighborhood and we started growing in Mexico City. For us, um, I think the challenge wasn't really expansion, but it was to, to find the partners and the restaurants and the supermarkets uh, in the areas and then also the delivery people. Because if you go to some zones are, are really easy to get delivery people and other zones are, are, are tougher. And when we start expanding into different cities, trying to kind of explain to people uh, the model and how we work um, kind of was the most challenging part. Today, I think everyone knows how, how we work, how other delivery or ride-sharing companies work. So it's really easy to explain to someone how, how it is and to get them on board. But I think the biggest challenge that we have at the beginning expanding was explaining how this, this new model of like crowdsourcing work because people were confused. Okay, so I'm, am I an employee? Uh, am I, how is this going to work? How am I going to get paid? Um, that was the biggest challenge. Even for restaurants, like trying to explain to restaurants that you're going to do deliveries and they weren't going to have delivery people was super challenged. They didn't understand. They were like, well, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, today, it's a whole different story. Five years ago when we started, and that was the most challenging part in, in the expansion part. You know, it, and, and you know, it's, uh, <laughs> I've had the opportunity a few times to go down to Brazil and to see the market. I remember I interviewed the founding teams of New Bank. Lord. I think it was eight years ago. It's been a while now, right? It was right at the beginning because the best part was, um, and I can't remember her name, uh, uh, the co-founder. She had just left. Because she, I love her. Here, here's why I love her. It was one of the most honest answers I ever had. I was like, why are you founding this? And she said, well, I went to the bank I work for, told them to do this, and they told me it wouldn't work. 
And, you know, she's just given the biggest middle finger to an industry that I've ever seen. And I'm proud of her and the team for doing that. I love seeing that. Um, you know, it just seems that a lot of these markets are ripe for disruption. I mean, they really are. They're um, y- y'all are sitting in an incredibly good um, space, but I also know it isn't easy. So as you look back just over the last couple of years, and I'll use this as the last section um, or last comment for this, um, and I'm going to look right at Neon, uh, those early days, um, what, what was the one learning you took out of that when you were cracking a market, when you when the solution when you look back, if you were to look at another founder now and go, this is going to be your toughest challenge. I think that the major thing that would change was to understand how, how to prioritize because there are a lot of opportunities, uh, probably for, for all, all three companies here. Uh, a lot of things we, we can do, a lot of needs uh, down there in the market uh, with our clients, but understanding where the pain really is and focusing on doing uh, this uh, better than anyone, uh, that's not easy. It, it seems to, to be easier to choose only one thing, uh, but uh, with all the opportunities we have and all the problems we're seeing, uh, we see a lot of pains in our customers. So choosing the right thing uh, where you can, can do the best and impact uh, the biggest number of people. Well, I, we can flat out say that, you know, we look over the past decade, the change, especially in the adoption and the influence of fintech within the region is incredible. So let's talk about what's happening right now. Let's talk about some of the current products that are out there, solutions, obviously with Rappi and, and, and Neon and, and uh, Prometheo. So if you look at the region though, right now, right? Um, you know, investment between 2018 and 2019, uh, folks get ready for this. This is what you call hockey stick growth. It went from $700 million to $2.118 billion in 2019. That's in one year. All right. So why? And how much did y'all get? <laughs> uh, let's put it this way. Juan Pablo, how many planes did you buy with that $2 billion that you were given? No, no plane yet. We haven't been able to, to get any money. I think we invest all, all, all the money into the company. And the real shift started, um, I think, with us and other companies when U.S. investors started seeing Latin America as a possibility. Um, I think pre-2015, if you go to Andreessen and Horowitz, Sequoia, or any of the VCs, uh, Latin America was a place that they didn't want to invest. They started going into Brazil, started making small investments. Um, Rappi was the first Colombian startup to get to get investment from Andreessen and Horowitz from Sequoia. And that started to open up. It started to open up where like they saw that there was a huge opportunity that they were able to invest in, in companies in Latin America and they were they weren't gonna lose uh, their money. And and I think all of the success stories, a uh, new bank, um like Rappi and 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 the rest of, of Latin America and um, startups started to open up to these US investors. Today you go to a US investors uh, or you go into into White Combinator and and it's a safe area um, and it's a safe place for them to to invest. So these have opened up uh, more international investment from from di- different parts of the world and, and even locally. Um, people that, that didn't want to invest in startups, big banks uh, are now uh, investing in, in startups in the region. Yes, I think that that it's a, 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 
a really relevant point because uh, before that it was uh, like impossible to have this logic about building a product uh, and grow and I think that there is something also really important um, that has been done by the startups uh, like Rappi for instance and Newbank as big success stories uh, that uh, also let um, investors from, from abroad like the US or Europe are seeing the region as a whole and not just like you are um, like building a product for just one country. Uh, so right now you can say like, okay, I'm building this solution from Uruguay, but my vision is pan-regional and actually I'm operating in nine countries. And uh, they think, uh, yes, okay, that this has been done also by Rappi and this has been done also by Nubank, so it's possible. And I think that's also uh, really, really important in terms of how huge is the opportunity and it's really huge. Yeah, I've, I've, you know, we've seen the investment from SoftBank in the region, for example, um, which, which this time SoftBank, well done. <laughs> Every now and then with SoftBank, you're like, you have too much money. Um, but I, I had a conversation uh, just a couple months ago in New York with a friend of mine, Matt Burton, so a, a company founder who now works for um, uh, one of the big VC companies up there. And I had asked him, what market really excites you? And he said, Latin America, flat out. Because in your investment, normally, you know, if you can get 2x, you did well. We're seeing 4x, 5x on our investments because the growth has been so rapid. The adoption, you know, uh, uh, customer adoption and interest in these solutions is there. And, you know, Alexandra, I'm, I'm curious from your standpoint, why? I mean, what is it? Because I'll say this in the U.S., if there's one thing um, about consumers adopting a fintech solution, it, it's really hit or miss here. I mean, it really is. Robinhood's done well, and that's just because all these teenagers are locked in their house because of COVID. You know, I, I mean that politely. I'm a Robinhood client, but still, I mean, what what's the difference? Uh, I guess the, the problem already existed uh, a long time ago. So actually, for me, it's interesting uh, why it didn't happen uh, before. And I, I think it's it's based on the venture capital uh, cycle that both Juan and, and Simena were mentioning. Uh, money started to, to come into to the region, but the problem, I, I'm, I mean, in Brazil, we had five big players controlling the market. Uh, they were not delivering uh, the greatest experience for everybody. Uh, the costs were, were high, so uh, there was the need, but the regulation, uh, the fear, it, it demands a lot of a lot of courage to 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 go and 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 try to 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 make things differently. So uh, I think. When the investments started to, to come, it also created the, this, this uh, positive uh, virtual cycle that more people wanted to, to try it out, to, 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 to make it better. And so more entrepreneurs were, were attracted to, to the market as well. So I think it was this, this cycle, this loop that started to, to happen, uh, I guess, in 2016, 2017. And, and then 2018, 2019, it got really big, big. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, it, there's a there's a common phrase in investing, um, which is, you know, follow the money, just flat out, follow the money. Where is it going? And in a one year cycle, when you see a one point five billion dollar jump into a single market, there, there's a reason. <laughs> we'll flat out say that. And we'll talk about some of those reasons in the next section. But right now we got to pause, do a quick break while we shamelessly plug those other things that we have going on. This episode of Fintech Insider is brought to you by MyTech. 
Combining the world's best forensic experts with the industry's most advanced technology, only MyTech delivers banking-grade identity verification with the highest possible assurance levels, massively reducing risk, fraud, and cost. Discover more at MyTechSystems.com. This episode is brought to you by Jack Henry Digital, the pioneers of personal digital banking. They're reviving the vision of financial institutions being on a first-name basis with customers by offering a platform for personal, human-centered service that puts the customer first. Your customers experience immediate accessibility while your employees get cloud-based, core-connected tools to offer service at the moment of need. To learn more, explore the team's latest insights at jackhenrydigital.com. FinTech Insider listeners, we need you. If you listen to the show, whether this is your first episode or your 450th episode, or you dip in and out, we'd love it if you could take a few minutes to give us your feedback and suggestions to help shape the future of the show. We want to know what you like, what you don't, and where we can improve, because we want to make this podcast the best we can for you, for our listeners, and we want to make it even better every episode. To help us out, please take a moment to visit bit.ly forward slash fintech insider survey. It won't take you more than five minutes to complete, but it would mean the world to us if you would. That's bit.ly forward slash fintech insider survey. Do you follow 11FS on LinkedIn? If you don't, you should. We make video content over there that you don't want to miss out on. And we're starting not one, but two new live shows. On Tuesdays, we're going to dive into the biggest industry news stories. And on Thursdays, we'll be grilling some of the biggest experts in financial services on what they do for a living. You'll have the chance to ask your questions and get them answered live on the show by some of the best minds in the industry. Find out more by heading over to 11FS LinkedIn page. Thanks, and on with the show. Okay, one of the things we touched on, everybody, and I, I, I want to come back to it because I find this topic fascinating, is this concept of a super app. So, you know, when we talk about China and what's happening there, you know, with the the massive adoption of, of mobile, the whole ecosystem they have there, and the super apps that we constantly hear about that, you know, I'll say this for Europe and in the U.S., uh, you know, Facebook, Google, Amazon would all absolutely spend or probably $100 billion if they could get super app adoption in that market. And it hasn't happened here. Uh, so I'm curious, and I'm going to look right at you, Juan Pablo, when we're going to talk about Rappi, this concept of a super app. Can you expand on that a little bit more? What do you mean by that? And why is it working in the market? Yeah, so I think when you hear the term super app, um, it sounds like uh, like a buzzword. And we didn't actually start a super app. Uh, five years ago, we started a, a delivery app uh, for convenience store. And we left a part called Antojo, which is like a whim. So people will order whatever they wanted. And what we start seeing is that people started ordering a bunch of different stuff. They started to order restaurants they started to copy and paste in their grocery list and we started expanding the offerings that our app, that our app had uh, to a point where people asked for cash and we say yeah why not we can just go to the atm withdraw cash and take it to them and that's how we started expanding um into different services so a, a super app is, is an app that basically solves most of your needs so in rapi you wake up you want to get breakfast you can get breakfast through rapi then you have a headache you can get anything from a pharmacy uh, through rapi then you're on your way to to work and you stop at a coffee shop and you forgot your credit card you can pay uh, using rapi pay just scanning a qr code 
Then when you get home, um, really late at night, you want to order a supermarket to, to cook um, your dinner. You can get all of your grocery needs through Rappi. And then some friends come over at night and you want to get anything from the liquor store. We also do that. Then, you know, you're really late going to bed. Why don't you, you're looking for a flight to, to go to Cancun for the weekend. You can also do that through Rappi. And now that you have your trip to Cancun, you need to get your bathing suit because you want a new one. You can also get your bathing suit to Rappi. So we basically solve all of your needs uh, with one single app and we get everything delivered uh, with a couple of minutes. That's the concept of a super app. You know, one of the things you said that I absolutely loved is shoot out the word QR code. QR codes get so much shit in the U.S., and yet <laughs> the damn things work. I love that people, it does, I think it's just too simple. And so people get annoyed, you know, uh, certain tech folks get annoyed at, at how well QR codes work uh, in China, for example. I mean, damn, just, you know, for those that haven't been there in the market, QR codes are kicking ass, everybody. Um, you know what? One thing I'm curious about, we talked about this on the break briefly. And Alexander, you you mentioned on this, uh, you know, you there's only a small handful of banks um, that really dominate the market. I'm going to do this off the top of my head. And you guys can correct me if I'm wrong. You know, Santander, BBVA. Um, in, in Mexico, you got Banamex from Citi. In the U.S., when I look at um, uh, the mobile offerings from the big banks, they're really good. The, the U.X. is good. Um, I mean, they stand out. I think that's part of the reason challenger banks really have indented the U.S. market like they have, say, in Europe. Um, what's it like in y'all's market? Are the banks catching up? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll say the, all the experience are getting better during the past three or four years. Uh, the, the thing is, I think that the speed uh, with which they, they, they can change things uh, is not the same uh, we, we, we can do. We can do it. And there is also an, another issue uh, in this matter, which is organizing all all the, the, the their portfolios. So a lot of products, uh, the offer is is, is huge. Uh, so there's a challenge in um, in customizing everything for for each each customer. So I think it's getting better, but it's still uh, not 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 fast as we uh, fintech startups can can make it. Uh, yes, and I think that the, there's also another problem is that um, uh, they are also customizing in, in many cases their solution, like from uh, from BBVA from Spain, uh, they have to bring it for, to, to Peru, to Uruguay, to Ecuador, and those are uh, like marginal uh, countries for BBVA Spain, you know. Uh, the, same, uh, the same happens uh, to HSBC or to Santander, you know. Um, so for these uh, marginal countries, uh, the experience is lousy. So uh, that's where challenger banks uh, have this huge opportunity and they are like addressing it properly, you know, uh, because they are building great uh, products with great uh, customer experience. And then uh, the, these local huge banks don't have the tools to keep up, you know. Uh, so it's a disruption, basically. Yeah, I, I can guarantee, I, I don't care what part of the world you live in, when we talk about large enterprise companies, whether it's banking or retail or you take your pick, the distinct advantage companies like you have is the time it takes a large enterprise company, a large bank, just to organize a meeting to talk about doing something. Y'all have already sketched out code, baited it, and got it in market. 
that's just flat out the truth. And that's a distinct advantage you have. I mean, it's, it's large. It's incredibly hard to get large organizations to move at pace. It just is. So good on y'all for being able to take advantage of that. Let's talk a little bit about some of the limitations of the market, though, and what's happening. Um, and right now, a global limitation is COVID. I mean, it just is. It's impacting everybody. I'm curious what it's doing for y'all's market when it comes to capital investment, because I can tell you in the U.S., there's a massive focus on revenue. <laughs> Are you making money? There's nothing wrong with that, by the way. It's amazing that it, you know, it's taken a global pandemic to get people to focus on on, on revenue when it comes to capital investment. What are you all seeing? Are you seeing a slowdown at all because of COVID? Not in, in my in my experience. Uh, what I'm sensing is like um, VCs are working and eager to make investments. I think that uh, perhaps my point of view uh, is particular because what we are bringing is a B2B solution for the financial sector that helps in, in, in digital transformation. And so actually COVID for us, it was kind of positive uh, because all the process and projects that were referring to digital transformation uh, just were like, okay, we have to jump on this and, and this is a priority. Um, so uh, for, for us, it was kind of helpful and also in terms of investment, of course. Um, I, I, I don't know if the same happened uh, or if everybody here has the same opinion. Yeah, no, so I think we, we saw a huge increase of customers uh, going into the app to get a debit card and the credit card after COVID. And it seemed like they were used to, they, they were kind of afraid of, of testing this new digital bank. And when COVID started, branches started to close out. And if you need a new car, you call your bank and your bank says, oh, you're out of luck because branches are closed. Oh, I want to do this. Oh, you're out of luck because branches are closed. And if branches were open, uh, you didn't want to expose yourself to the virus. So people had to go into digital banks and it was kind of the only option. So it, it didn't, so before it was like a nice to have to have a digital bank, it became a necessity. It became like, okay, I want to, I want to get a debit card. Uh, well, you can go to a bank and get exposed or you can just order your car to wrap in 30 minutes. A courier is going to deliver the car to you and you're going to be less exposed. So we saw an increase in usage. Uh, what was actually super crazy was the switch in online versus car present transaction. We're seeing a car not present transaction skyrocket to levels that we're expecting to have like in 2022, 2023. So a huge percentage of orders are, are now being done online. And, and before it was uh, the completely opposite, right? People don't really like to buy online in Latin America and now people have to. So you see a huge increase in, in, in orders from different e-commerce uh, platforms and, and different places that people didn't use to buy online. Yeah, I, I, I was just about to say the same thing. We saw the, the same movement here. So we, we, we kept track of this uh, digital uh, KPI here, this index, to understand how, how, how safe people were. So it was crazy how, how it increased uh, over the months. And uh, we received a lot of clients' uh, comments on that, on, on how we were helping them, how, how they were understanding. So uh, one thing that was very important for us is to, to get very focused on uh, explaining our product. We always do that because uh, it, it's simple, but it's something new. But it was even more important uh, over, all, all along those days back in this since March or April. One of my favorite quotes uh, from Steve Jobs um, is, you know, the simple is hard. That concept that, you know, the simpler solution, the harder it is, is to explain it. 
I, I don't need to, to go to a branch, right? I mean, people are used to that. Uh, it's sometimes difficult for them to, to understand. Yes, you, you don't, and it's even better. And it's still very safe for you to, to use the, this product, this company. Uh, the customer support uh, is there for you 24-7, uh, which is like in our case. So uh, when you go to two brands, you need to go between 10 and 4 p.m. So uh, it's it's much better solution. But still, people need to understand that and need to try that. Yeah, that, when I moved to uh, the UK, one of the first things I learned early on was that like boots, like a pharmacy would, would close at five o'clock. And in the US, nothing closes till about 1 a.m. because we're nuts um, in the UK, um, other than a Tesco. Thank you, Tesco, for staying open late. But it was it was a behavioral change for me. And this was Lord, 15 years ago. Um, those those simple behavioral changes are tough, right? In Uruguay, the banks are open from one to five. Oh, my God. I love that. That is just like, eh, it's like a you know, they're flipping everybody off like you will operate on our schedule. That is nuts from one to five. And it's crazy because it's that time it's where when you're working, you know, whenever they have to do something at the bank uh, because they have to skip uh, working hours. Um, it's crazy. So so let's talk about the future then, because obviously in Uruguay, the banks are very concerned about the future from having banks only open. <laughs> from one to five, when when we look forward, right? Let's, let's look. I don't like the ten year horizon. Let's just look out. You know, the next couple of years. You know, just in the past year, like we said this right at the top. At the top, the you know, capital investment jumped one point five billion. So, is there still room for growth? When you look at the market, you know, is there still room for growth for say other companies to come in? And um, you know, what about y'all? Um, you know, when you know h- how uh, pessimistic or optimistic are you of the upcoming couple of years? I think the opportunity is too huge. Uh, I mean, those those five banks still control the majority of, of accounts. The situation has changed um, uh, mainly over past two two years. Uh, the the major concern we, we have is how to, to keep up with differentiation. So being simple, and de- delivering a seamless experience uh, with no monthly fees, uh, fair prices is, is starting to become a commodity. So uh, this, is, this is not the way we believe we will differentiate our, our offer to, to the clients. Of course, we'll keep up with that, uh, always focus on, on the clients, on, on their needs, on, on delivering bar- the best experience uh, as possible. But understanding how to create different relationships. Differential products are the same. If you look backward to the last 50 years, they're the same. You still a transfer, is still a deposit a card. Uh, how can we do it in a different way? Uh, even better. So in, in Brazil, you're seeing a, a major change in regulation. Uh, we're seeing peaks, which is for uh, instantaneous transfers. It's, it's uh, a movement uh, that the central bank in Brazil is leading. Uh, and we'll start to see that uh, rolling out in the end of the year, so in November. And this is the kind of thing uh, I think that will, will help us to find the opportunities. So this changes. It, it, it's interesting to see the, the government or regulatory um, part of this step up. I mean, Mexico um, has been held up as an example of that, right, Juan Pablo, for, for what's been done there from a governmental standpoint. Yeah, I think if you look in in, in the region, uh, Brazil and Mexico are two amazing examples on on how a regulator is is moving to to regulate fintechs and to help fintech companies. 
Um, we are part of the um, of the fintechs that were allowed to continue operating and, and following the guidelines. It wasn't a, as easy, so it was super complex process. Like we, it took uh, a lot of time, a lot of work. Uh, we had a file, like it were like five binders. Uh, I felt that I was like I don't know turning in my my life project and. And they have been really slow, and with COVID and everything, uh, we haven't been able to get an answer if we're approved or not. But what we're keeping operating, I think, compared to other parts of, of the region, at least we know what to do. And, and there is a, a clear guidelines okay, if you want to operate a, a fintech, this is the KYC that you need to, this is what we expect from you. And that's super helpful. We have countries like Colombia and Peru that it's not really clear what you can do. And, and there are some, some loopholes and gray areas where, where fintech can operate. But you don't want to be in that situation with, with thousands or millions of customers when you're operating in something that is not legal or illegal and then the regulator changes their mind one day to another one and you're basically out of luck. So we need to keep pushing the, the rest of the governments to implement and clarify um, how a fintech should operate and how it can be regulated. Uh, do you all worry at all about you know the big tech, you know, FANG, as we call it in the U.S., um, trying to come into the market? I mean, there's... There's a wonderful story about Facebook and uh, trying to launch payments uh, through Messenger in Brazil. And I think they lasted, it was either seven weeks or seven days. I absolutely love that story, by the way. I was very pleased about uh, that happening. But, I mean, you do have, there's there's no way a market this size is not drawing the attention of those large tech companies, whether it be in the U.S. or China, you know, for example, coming into market. Do y'all, are y'all seeing that now or do you think that's going to happen in the upcoming years? Uh, yes, of course. I think that uh, everybody can can see that, and it's clear. And right now, we are also seeing other fintech companies uh, scaling to to Latin America, like Intuit, for instance, that they have already operations in Brazil and Mexico, and also players from Europe like Think, uh, which is in the open banking scene. It's also uh, addressing Latin America. So I think that it will be um, sooner or later. Um, but I think that still local fintechs have, have a place here, um, even with big players coming to, to Latin America, uh, because uh, as, as local entrepreneurs, we are well aware about the necessities and the, the the cultural complexities of Latin America, and I think that you can't skip that. You know, um, it's important uh, to have like the, the the sense of the market, and you can be like really huge as as, as of course Amazon or Google or, or Facebook, and still you can overlook. Uh, some pieces uh, of information, like what happened uh, with WhatsApp and, and or Facebook uh, in Brazil and the transfers, you know. Um, so I think that uh, yes, this will happen, and I think uh, there, there's still room to see uh, how that will be sorted out. You know, I think that there's a lot of opportunities for for local entrepreneurs, despite uh, having this major competition. I'll tell you, my here's my forecast, everybody. Here's my prediction. Um, is that we're going to see solutions and, and companies that have sprung up from the Latin American um, uh, landscape and make significant impact in the U.S. And I, I don't think I'm being um, facetious when I say that whatsoever. You know, I'm um, here in the U.S. One of the fintech darlings is Brex. Those two boys are from Brazil, right? I mean, they were, you know, they were. I, you know, I've talked to them before. They've had, you know, a lot of success down there. I think we're going to see that happen and the lessons to learn i think we look i'm saying this as the uh uh the old you know 
uh, fintech guy from the U.S. or banker guy from the U.S., I think we look to Asia and Europe a bit too much and ignore Latin America and the success there. And I, I'll say why I mean that. Um, when we talk about neo banks or challenger banks and how successful they are, it's amazing how many times I have to tell everybody, um, you're missing new bank. You're you're missing, you know, when you're looking at um, disruption, you're missing Rappi. You know, you should know about Neon. You should know about these companies. And it's a market you should pay pay attention to. So I'm thrilled that we actually did this show. And believe it or not, we're out of time. All right, that wraps up today's discussion. We want to thank everybody for joining us. Most important thing is where can people find out more about you and about your company? So, Simena, we'll start with you. Where's the best place if people want to contact you and learn more about your company? Uh, our website, uh, prometeoapi.com, uh, or my email, xalemanprometeoapi.com. I'm basically uh, eager to present them Prometeo. Um, and the platform for building financial services across Latin America, a single point of access for payments, transactions, and information. across. The oh, your marketing team is so happy with you right now for that. You did really well. All right, Alexandra, no pressure. Can, can you keep up? But best place to contact you and learn more about Neon. Yeah, so the same here. So that's at our website, neon.com.br. And feel free to send me an email. So alexandra.alvarez at neon.com.br. And we, we, I'll be happy to share more about this fully digital account, changing the way the presidents deal with their money. Perfect. And Juan Pablo, how about you? You and Rappi. Yeah. So, so if you want to learn about the super app, Rappi.com and more about the fintech space, RappiPay.com. And you can also send me an email, Juan at Rappi.com. And I can, I can answer and, and talk about fintechs and financial services in, in Latin America. Well, as for me, it's at Sam Mall on Twitter and now TikTok because my daughter, Alex, opened up a TikTok account for me. I could kill her for that. Um, everybody, thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, subscribe to the podcast. Don't forget to leave us a review. Make it five stars or don't leave us a review. It helps. It makes it better. It helps others find the show. And speaking of making it better, please, please don't forget to give us your thoughts via our super quick survey at bit.ly forward slash fintech insider survey. As always, if you want to join the conversation, find us on social media. Just reach out to 11FS or Fintech Insiders or email podcasts at 11FS.com. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.